in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we come now to your word and to the preached word of God. We ask you to rule and reign over our hearts this morning and give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say to us and help us to respond, Lord, not only with worship, but with lives of worship that point to you. Do a deep and abiding work in us today and bring much fruit for your glory and honor. Let the church say amen. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter number 5 as we're continuing on in our study, Counter Culture, the Sermon on the Mount. Today we deal with anger. Now, I had another title for this sermon, and when I bounced it off of our missionary friend Jack, whom I've had the privilege of spending an hour with uh, uh, in recent weeks, uh, every couple of weeks, we check in on each other, pray for each other, encourage one another. Uh, 9 p.m. his time, 9 a.m. my time. I'm glad that's not reversed because I'm really tired at 9 p.m. my time. But uh, at 9 a.m., we, we chatted a couple days, and, and this past, I gave him my previous sermon title for this, and he said, ooh, you should have went with that. It was entitled Homicidal Thoughts. <laughs> so I thought we would go with anger management, right? And, but you may see that the first title was better by the time we get to the end of this. We're about to get into the nitty-gritty parts of the Sermon on the Mount. In speaking with Jack, in fact, he said the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most successful evangelistic tools that he uses among the Asian people that he serves in his context and culture. In previous years, we could say where he served. We're, we can't do that anymore. But uh, he said it, would, uh, it was great because they would read this and hear this and they would go, wow, what a teacher. Every person that would respond to that, they go, wow, what a teacher. Jesus is about to unpack this monumental truth and distinguishing characteristic among his people. And here it is, if I were giving you this in a nutshell, as we work through all of what's coming up, listen to me carefully, you cannot behave your way into the kingdom of God. You cannot behave your way into the kingdom of God. That's just not how this works. I know this is a tired cliche, but it still rings true. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart, right? We've heard it so much, it's almost, it's become just noise to us. But I would say that he's going to deal in the Sermon on the Mount in such a way over these next few weeks. The problem, or rather the heart of the problem, is a problem with the heart. Today we're going to baptize three precious souls. We will conclude this service, if you will, or pause this service in a way, quite a long pause as we've got to drive to get down the road, but we'll pause this service and then resume in Lake Wiley baptizing three precious souls. We're not baptizing these three precious souls because they turned over a new leaf or they have learned how to act right in church. That's not how this works. And yet, it's not just based on profession alone. We've asked Christian leaders as part of when a student says, I'm ready to be baptized, there's a, there's a way that we assess if they're in fact ready uh, to be baptized. And one of those is some of their leaders report back on them and the change that they've seen, parents as well. 
And we have evidence in, in all three candidates that there's been a change that points to Jesus. Doesn't mean they've lived perfect lives since their profession of faith. Have you? I haven't. But it does mean there's been a change in their heart that's affected their behavior. Years ago, if you called the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and were placed on hold, you'd get these little sermon snippets from Dr. Graham. And one of those that I remember vividly, it was a young and energetic and high-pitched Dr. Graham. And he said, our problem is not a war problem. Our problem is not a race problem. Our problem is a heart problem. How true. While your Bibles are out, look back at the verse right before what we read today. In chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a tall order. I unpacked that the last time we handled that text. I'm not going to handle it again. But I want to tell you that he's going to demonstrate that over the coming verses. Basically, he's going to move from the fruit or the manifestation of the sin, murder, right, being one. He's going to move from the fruit, watch this, to the root. And that's what we're going to try to do today. The law says don't murder, but the root says don't even allow your heart to fester in anger. The law says don't commit adultery. The root says don't even allow lust to linger for a moment. The law says, let divorce be done legally. The root says, don't divorce except for sexual immorality. God hates divorce. The law would say, don't swear falsely. Jesus says, live your life so that you don't need to swear at all. Your yeses are yes and your noes are noes. The law would say, equal retribution is okay. The root says, go the extra mile for your adversary. That's a heart issue. And then it wasn't the law, but the custom would say, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And Jesus says, love your enemy and pray for them. You talk about a heart change. There's no way we can do this. Ah, now you're onto something. You can't, unless Christ is at work in and through you. When Jesus finishes these sayings at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, people marvel and they say of Jesus in Matthew 7, they say they marveled and were astonished at his teaching for he taught as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Wouldn't you hate to have been a scribe when somebody says that? Oh, I like this guy. He's not like the guys we normally hear. The guys you normally hear are standing up and going, hey, what, what's going on? Jesus is teaching and in his teaching, what he said and the way he said elevates the behavior, elevates the source of the behavior. It, it transcends the law. Jesus here is ins insisting that we should avoid sinful attitudes, not just sinful actions. Why? Because when we avoid sinful attitudes and are sensitive to the things going on in our hearts that can work their way to our ruin, when we're sensitive at the heart level, here's what it shows, that we are driven by God's character, not just his commands. And that's what Jesus is after here. Now we understand why murderers would and should be judged, don't we? They should be met with justice. 
Jesus ups the ante considerably here by saying everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the same judgment that a murderer should stand trial for. What? And then he escalates the consequence with the action. Look at what he says. If you're angry with your brother, you're liable to judgment. If you insult your brother, you're liable to the religious council. And if you condemn someone, you are liable to condemnation yourself. What? That's tough, Jesus. I can't even say stuff. Picking? Do y'all know what picking is? We, we do a lot of picking at our house. Like you say things you know you shouldn't say, and then if somebody says, hey, you shouldn't say it, you go, I'm just picking. Right? No? Is that just us? Maybe it is. What does the Bible have to say about anger? I mean, is this the only place it shows up? They're in the notes online if you're following along. If you've got the Bible app with you, you should be able to pull up today's sermon if you click events and, and you find a link to all these notes there. But please, when you find them, don't get up and leave. Let me finish preaching. At least pretend like you're listening, okay? But in the notes, you'll find all these verses linked. But here's, here's what the Bible says about it. It has quite a bit to say, actually. Psalm 37, refrain from anger, forsake wrath, we read this this morning. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Proverbs 14. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts, worships, exemplifies folly. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 22, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Can I pause here for just a moment? We say the phrase, right? I just need to vent. I just need to vent. The Bible says it's foolish to let it all out. You, you need that thing tempered by the Holy Spirit. Hello? This may not apply to anybody in the room, but I'm sure somebody's popped into your head that it applies to. Moving on. Ecclesiastes 7. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry. Don't have a short fuse. For anger lodges in the heart of fools. I see a theme here, don't you? Ephesians 4, let's go to the New Testament. Therefore, this is describing the believer. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Now, that's our favorite verse on anger. We all quote that, right? We're like, no, no, no. The Bible says I can be angry and not sin. The Bible says I can be angry and not sin. I'll come to that in a minute. Few of us do that well. Some of you may. I do not. Uh, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Watch this. Here's the connection again. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve, it's all connected, the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed into the day of redemption. Two more verses. Colossians says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Look at the connection. 
anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Final verse, James 1. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Question, what does the Bible have to say about anger? Answer, a lot. A lot. Very little about a permission slip for us to do it well. I know we love that one verse, don't we? Oh, no, but uh, the Bible says I can be angry and sin not. Okay. And I know what you're thinking. Well, what some of you are thinking. Well, Jesus got angry. There was one time I, my boss, uh, when I was working at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association for years, he asked me a question and I answered him with a question. And it was not a, like a high-pressure business moment. It was a casual conversation. He stood the other side of his office. He says, don't answer my questions with the questions. And I said, Jesus did that. And he looked at me with his head cocked and said, you're not Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Message received, right? But we, we like to say, well, Jesus got angry, and we want to maybe use that to endorse our anger. Well, when did Jesus get angry? In John chapter number 2, he was angry and cleared the temple. In Mark chapter number 3, he was angry with those who assailed him for healing on the Sabbath. In Matthew 23, he called the Pharisees blind fools. And so we conclude that there, in fact, is a place for righteous anger. We have record of three times in three years that Jesus got angry. How you doing? Right? I can remember one time years ago when I was angry. Yeah, right, okay. Um, you don't have children in your house, right? Because Sunday morning... It comes, doesn't it, like a wave. It just does. And I'm not saying my house. We're perfect. We're the pastor's family. So we have no sin or issues going on. But it happens, right? We deal with it. And we tend to deal with it right before something big and wonderful is about to happen in our lives. Here's the thing, though. Jesus was angry at sin and injustice that robbed God of glory. That's what he was angry about. He never became angry because he was insulted or treated badly. In fact, 1 Peter 2 tells us that. It says when they hurled insults at him and he didn't retaliate, when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Don't, don't get lost in the weeds here. Take a, take a glimpse of what we're talking about. Jesus is calling us to a righteousness that is different than behavior modification, which the Pharisees had down. He's calling us to a righteousness. He's equipping us for a righteousness. The Holy Spirit is enabling us to walk in a righteousness that flows from our hearts that are being made new. There's a place for burning with anger at sin and injustice. Our problem is that we burn with indignation and anger and are ready to pour out white, hot wrath on offense or when we're ticked off. Admit it. I mean, by and large, we are quick to be angry when we are personally offended. We have a short fuse. Yet, we seem to have a long fuse when sin and injustice are multiplying in other areas around us. We react, we speak out, we take a stand and quickly let everybody know where we are. 
when we're personally affected. But if we're removed from the injustice, we tend to pontificate and philosophize and reason things away that don't directly deal with us. I'm grateful to men who have handled this text so well in years past. And in my study and all the commentaries and theology and doing word studies, all the things, I, I was grateful for the very common sense way that Dr. Adrian Rogers kind of categorized these three angers that we see here. And I'm, I'm borrowing from him this morning those three words. The rest uh, I didn't get from him, but here are three words that he used that I thought did a great job. There are three kinds, three expressions of anger here. The first is caustic anger. Caustic anger. You see the word cause in that? It's a reaction to what someone has done to you. You've hurt me, I'm angry. But again, Jesus is saying, without cause. Some translations say without cause. Your brother's done, be angry with your brother without cause. Um, the thought is here that this is not sin and injustice that you're angry at, but just that you've been wronged. Got it? Caustic anger. That moves then, that corrosive acid of caustic anger turns to contempt. Contempt. We've all seen this before when somebody is overly critical of others and the criticism moves from the category of criticism to contempt. You actually have contempt for a fellow image bearer when you are insulting them. That's the progress of the text there. When you use words like the New Living Translation renders that insult word as, parents, give me a little leeway here, but when, when the word is used, idiot, the Amplified rendered the word stupid. When you say things like that and you use that as a word to call somebody something, you're headed toward judgment. You are liable for judgment. Jesus said at that level, at the contemptuous anger level, you should be standing before the religious council of the day, the Sanhedrin. He's saying you should stand trial for that. What? The word there actually is raka. It doesn't translate hardly at all. But it's good for me to remind myself of one of those verses from Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome talk, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good. Guys, I got to tell you, as I was preparing for this message, I was convicted of things that I say when I'm picking. There's no place for this kind of talk. And then we move to the worst, condemning anger. You see the progression? Angry at your brother, insulting your brother, and then this condemning anger, the word here is moros. It sounds like moron, doesn't it? And comedians have taken that word from us and made it kind of funny. Oh, he's a moron. That word means more than we think it does, or rather to quote the Princess Bride, I, I don't think you know what that word means. The Holy Spirit, I felt, was saying that to me, because it's a word I've used sometimes. No word is used, uh, or rather this word is used in Matthew 7, Matthew 23, and Matthew 25 to describe those who do not truly belong to the kingdom. When you call somebody a moron, what you're saying is they are unregenerate and unsaved and you're consigning them to hell. Our words matter. A.B. Bruce said it this way. Raka is this expression for contempt for a man's head. You're, you're insulting his mind. You say something like you, you're stupid or an idiot. N neither word has any place in the mouth of a believer. 
That deals with someone's mind. Moros expresses contempt for his heart and his character. You, you're worthy of hell. You deserve it. What's a guiding principle here before we get too deep in the heaviness here? Proverbs has a word for us from Proverbs 4. Keep your heart with vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away all crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Leave that verse up for just a moment, Brother Mark. Only Christ working in us, only the Holy Spirit keeping us sensitive to sin, only the Word of God making our minds new, helping us to be more like Jesus can bring about this kind of heart check for us. What's the big deal, preacher? Everybody gets angry. You're telling us to live like nobody else. Everybody gets angry. Have you been online lately? Unfortunately, yes. Everybody's angry all the time and spewing all the time and giving full vent all the time to everything. It reminds me of the old expression, she, he was going to give a piece of his mind, but his wife cautioned him and said, you don't have much to spare. Everybody gets angry, but that doesn't mean it's okay. That doesn't mean it's helpful. That doesn't mean it builds people up. Ephesians 5, 4, the Bible says, Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Matthew 15, Jesus says, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. It's not just the fruit, it's the root that's got to be dealt with. John 7 Here's the kind of root Jesus is trying to make in us. He says in John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Here's the question for you. Who do you want to be around? Cantankerous, caustic, contemptuous, condemning, venom, or rivers of living water? Now, I know what you're thinking. You've met some people like this, and they're borderline weirdos, right? Nobody acts like that. That's so different from the way everybody acts. Welcome to the kingdom of God. If we're going to go against the grain, we've got to go against the grain. Our text this morning continues on, and Jesus gives two scenarios where this will show up and blow up on you. The first is in our worship. The root of anger, anger's root, infects. I started to put affects, but it's 2021. I thought everybody would get a kick out of it if I put infects up there, right? It infects your worship. Take your Bibles and look with me at verses 23 and 24. The Bible says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now this is not some unreasonable, irrational grudge. This is a true and legitimate grievance. You have genuinely hurt and wronged somebody. You, you can just hear your grandma looking at you saying, you know what you did, right? You know what you did. And this is a real problem, and can I tell you, real problems need real attention. Now, as your pastor, there's something implicit here that I need to acknowledge because 
I'm going to get some heat if I don't. I want you to notice how normative it is for Jesus to connect giving with worship here. Now, that's a side note. It's not the main thing here, but they're not disconnected. It's not, oh, I love to worship God. No, we don't give. (laughs) Those two sentences don't work. Those are mutually exclusive. Actually, that's a contradictory statement. Uh, When we worship, we're all in with our time, our treasures, and our talent. We're all in with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and even Jesus, before Paul started really unpacking it later on, is saying, listen, I know you're bringing your gifts, but here's the deal. Um, I appreciate Jesus also saying here, Dr. Hall, he didn't say, take your gift with you and go fix it and then come back. He said, leave the money. No, I'm just, sorry, bad joke. Anyway, so we've got to understand that if we don't deal with the root of anger, it infects our worship. You cannot worship God with integrity without having a clear conscience and a right relationship with your brothers or sisters. Let me break it down for you the way it was broken down for me when I was young in the faith. Our, you can just hear Bobby Boss saying this, can't you? Our horizontal has to be right so our vertical can be right. Now, does that mean that there's no sin and no drama anywhere in your life and everything? No, it doesn't mean that, but it means that you have made every effort to keep this clean so this can be pure right? Our horizontal relationships and our vertical relationships are interconnected. Sinclair Ferguson says it way better than I could when he says, what we are before God involves how we are related to others. What we are before God involves how we are related to others. I don't usually do a quote back-to-back, couldn't resist this, D.A. Carson Men love to substitute ceremony for integrity, purity, and love. But Jesus will have none of it. You see, many of us would rather go through the motions than to admit we were wrong with the person that has a grievance against us. This is some heart check level stuff here. This anger, if you don't manage it at the root level, This anger will manage you and affect your worship unless you submit it to God and resist the temptation to make everything center around you. The second scenario that Jesus said it would infect and blow up for you is your public relationships. I I mean, some things that if you don't deal with at the root level show up publicly, don't they? That it just happens that way. You think, oh, I've got this hidden. This is nobody's business. One day it will be if you don't deal with it. It will be everybody's business, unfortunately. Look at the Bible in verse 25 of chapter 5. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you'll be put into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you paid the last penny. Romans 12 comes to my mind so quickly. If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This is a clear instruction from the Lord to reconcile quickly. Settle the matter now and avoid the additional sorrow and headache that this can bring later. It's a clear instruction for that. Seek reconciliation. The longer you wait, if you don't deal with it at the root and it becomes fruit, the longer you wait, the greater the consequences are likely to be. We need to be (laughs) de-escalators. 
We need to dial everything down when it comes to contention and contemptuous anger. Spurgeon says it well when he says this, listen, a lean settlement is better than a fat lawsuit. A little boy was doing his homework and he asked his dad, Dad, what causes people to go to war? Why do people kill each other in war? And the dad said, well, son, it's, it's like this. If you want to know what causes war, and uh, for, for example, in World War I, he said, Germany invaded Belgium. And then the mother walks in the room and she said, no, 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 Father, that's not the way it is. Here's the way war started. And he looks at her and says, look, do you want to answer the question or, or do you want me to answer the question? Did he ask you or did he ask me? Besides that, you don't know anything about anything. You don't know anything about war. Why don't you butt out of this conversation? And she says, what do you mean I don't know anything about this? And she throws her dish towel down on the floor. She turns around. She storms back off into the kitchen, slams the door. Dishes are rattling. And then the father looks back at the son and says, now, son, let me tell you how wars start. And the boy says, I got it. I got it. I got it. This is gut-level, heart-level teaching from Christ saying that our righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of the pretenders, the fakers, the posers. He's not looking for posers in the kingdom. He's not wanting you to behave your way into fooling everybody that you know how to act right in church. He's asking you to deal with things at the root. And questions and scenarios like this, here's some root questions we ought to ask us without becoming defensive Without shifting blame, I'm talking to you this morning. Are you responsible, responsible for any grudges that someone has against you? Are we responsible for any anger that someone has against us? Are we responsible for any bitterness or any hostility that someone has against us? If so, let me see your eyes. Look at me. Make some eye contact. If so, fix it. Deal with it. Fix it. Make the effort to reconcile before this Lord's day end. Use those phones that you have that you can contact the world and contact that person. And here are words that are going to change your life. You ready? 16 words. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Twelve words. Some of you are counting them. I don't know how many words. Forget it. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. We're good at hurling insults and saying things we shouldn't say. Let's say some things we should. It would be better for you to skip communion and step out in the narthex and deal with this than it would for you to fake another communion with unresolved issues that you've caused. If we don't surrender our anger to the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be managed by it. It will spiral into bitterness in our hearts. It will cause us to violate the clear commands of God's holy word as it relates to our conversation. It'll make us sound like people who reject God's rule and reign, condemning others. You may not be a murderer this morning, but if you allow your anger to manage you, it will kill your worship. 
You may not be a murderer this morning, but if you are managed by your anger, it will blow up in public and cost you and it will kill your reputation. I'm gonna ask the musicians to come for just a moment as we respond to the text this morning. While Julia comes and the singers come, they're gonna stay in place. We're gonna have a moment just for you to take and pray. And I, I hope, boy, this may sound crazy, but, but I hope you, uh, you leave church encouraged and hopeful, but not necessarily feeling all warm and fuzzy. I hope that maybe the Lord has done some heart-level surgery for you. Here's the solution. I've dealt with the problem. Here's how you can manage it. How do you manage your anger so it doesn't manage you? Number one, examine the root. Why are you angry? What's making you angry? 77, 277, 85? I mean, come on. Put on some jazz music or scripture and listen to it and just know that everybody driving around you doesn't know how to drive. And you be the one, you know, person that has it together. Don't let traffic drive you crazy. What's causing you to be angry? Is it sin and injustice or is it just that you're so easily offended and that you think the world should revolve around you? Examine the root. Number two, I want to quote the great theologian Barney Fife and say, nip it, nip it, nip it in the bud. That's actually some great wisdom there. In the bud before it blooms, nip it at the root before it becomes fruit. How do I do that? Well, you destroy every argument. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, recognizing that the weapons of our warfare are divine. They've come from God himself. And we can, we can and should take every thought captive to obey Christ. Number three, no shock. Get in the word. Get out of your head. Get away from those things that cause you anger and get into the word of God. My prayer is as you get into the word, like Romans 15, 13, that you will see the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace instead of anger so that by the power of this Holy Spirit you may abound in hope, not anger. And then lastly, to those of you, what do you do with, if it's reached the fruit stage? If it's too far gone, that one thing, that element, deal with it. Be a man. Be a woman. Take responsibility for your actions. If it's resulted in unwholesome talk or attacking fellow image bearers or giving others reasons to be offended at you or it's escalated in public because you refuse to prefer others over yourself, handle it today. Don't let it fester anymore. Call them, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please. Forgive me. Therefore, if we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we might be healed, the prayer of a righteous person has great power at its great working. Some of us have some rotten fruit we need to deal with today. Some of you need the Lord to help you deal with it at the root. Let's take a moment and ask our great God and King, to do a great work in us. I'll pray and then we'll sing.
God, you've called those of us who've experienced your peace to be peacemakers. You've called those of us who have experienced reconciliation to be reconcilers. Lord, that requires humility. It requires us reaching out and getting out of our comfort zones this morning. But Lord, by the authority of your word and the sealing of your Holy Spirit, we know that we will joyfully discover it's worth it. Because God, when you reconciled us through Jesus, you thought it was worth it. Thank you for sending your own precious son to pay for our sins, to pay for our guilt and shame on a cross, to be crucified and buried and resurrected on the third day to life, Lord, that we might have life. We worship you now in spirit and in truth. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. And